Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Once again, it's a pleasure to be able to share this hour with you. But today's hour is going to be a little different. Why? For the thousands who tuned in last night to hear the Progressive Commentary Hour and a really in-depth original discussion by Dr. David Martin on what he has been able to put together with actual documentation, studying carefully with great scholarship, the patents, when different patents were issued, what the funding was and who it came from and who it went to, to do gain-of-function research. And as Dr. Martin makes clear, as other scientists around the world make clear, gain-of-function is actually biological weaponization of a virus or a microbe. We have been misled. So what we're doing, as I promised last night, and there was simply a glitch, our program played at 6 o'clock last night instead of 7. I came on board at about 7.35 and did an hour and 15-minute program, mainly addressing people's interests in the audience. I want to thank those people for calling in. Some very good conversation occurred, and that will also be posted in our archives. So if you want to hear that. But for those of you who did not hear the show in its regular time slot, you're going to hear it now. We're going to go to the clip of David Martin. We're going to play a total of 40 minutes. And then on Christmas, we will play the second part. I'll be broadcasting at that time. Let's now go to the clip, a very important one. And if you believe what he is saying, if you trust his judgment and scholarship, then please share this with everyone that you can. Because I can promise you, Nothing that he is saying will be reported by the mainstream media or any governmental agency, but this is new material, and he is the only one who's done this research in the world, and he is probably the world's leading authority on this topic. Let's now go to what we need to know, and it shows us who played us, how they did it, how they've gotten away with it, and why we must say no to any more funding on gain-of-function research and demand that our legislators hold hearings in both the Senate and the House to close down all gain-of-function and biological research around the world. Now to the clip. So, a very, well, an extremely warm evening to everybody and a, and a very warm welcome. Um, I think it's possible that David Martin needs no introduction for many people, but um, on behalf of the um, bold, organizing, independent group that have put on this evening, invited David to come, I've just been asked to say a few words in introduction. My name's Richard Ramsbotham. Um, I was one, it'd be interesting how many others in the room who was first exposed to David Martin on Mickey Willis's Plandemic 2, movie, Indoctrination, and um, by that stage, I think wherever one was in, in the whole struggle of the, those first years, 2020, 21, wherever one was, something very extreme was happening, even if by some strange reason you thought it was okay. Um, <laughs> whatever was going on, it was not normal, and they didn't want it to be normal either. But um, so one was awake to many things. And I think today, I think everybody is a researcher. We have to be. It, wherever it comes to you, things come. 
And it's like, what is that? Is that true? Is that, what, what's that? What's the background to that? That's what's asked of all of us. And so, certainly for myself, I'm sure for many of you, we'd looked into many things. And personally, as, as another illustrious member of the audience, Heiko Schoening, had done a lot of work looking back at the time of 9-11 and the anthrax um, situation that happened a month later, which had a whole background to it, had been looking into that. What was happening? What, what, what was going on with all these vaccinations? And then this indoctrination movie came out. And I remember Mickey Willis talking. It was quite gentle. And suddenly, David Martin appeared. And, and it was a, a kind of shock, a pretty wonderful shock, but a shock. Because it was someone with the phenomena. Yeah? As you well know, people are accused today of just having theories, you know, which is a, which is a nonsense. You know, for, for anyone connected with this gentleman, Rudolf Steiner, it's a nonsense to talk about theories. There's someone who talked about knowledge, as, as you, sir, talked about the overcoming of knowledge and belief. Yeah, belief is not enough anymore. And this gentleman is very strong on that. We have to go further. We can look into world events. We can look into the way evil works in the world. We can look into lots of things and research it. Don't talk to us just about theories. And David Martin brought these phenomena about, about um, bioweapons, if I may just call it gently. I'm sure you'll share more. One after the other after the other. That was the shock. Um, it's like, okay, we're on a different ground now because of this. So personally, I just share my deep gratitude to you. And, and uh, you know, I could say a lot more. He has a remarkable background. Really, if you read, perhaps I won't go through it, but if you read David's accomplishments online, one also marvels at how you managed to you know, have such a range of work and, and, uh, behind you. Perhaps... Um, just read something because it's also surprising for us. He's also served as, as an advisor to numerous central banks, global economic forums, the World Bank, and international finance corporation and national governments. So David's worked on a scale. Certainly some of us is, we don't know at all. Um, and I think, I think that's about it. We're just greatly looking forward to the evening and we're all here and ready to engage and, and ask you questions afterwards. I come from a very long line of ministers and bishops in the Anabaptist tradition. And if you don't know anything about that tradition, you don't know that we, um, we historically start in Genesis on a Sunday and end in Revelation, and we cover every single book between end to end, which I will not do tonight. <laughs> but I do set my stopwatch just in case the minister in me kicks in. Um, I find it particularly interesting that we have Herr Steiner on the wall, and, and I re the reason for that is because I think many of us have lost our way with respect to the notion that in many respects... The challenge we face today is a challenge that is in large part uh, an outgrowth of our failure to understand that there are not experts. There are individuals who have developed very precise perspective, but that doesn't necessarily make them an expert. That simply means that they have a very specific perspective. 
And one of the mistakes that we've made, and one of the mistakes that my wife, Kim, who's sitting in the, the row here, and I would love for you to all acknowledge the amazing work that she's done to stand beside me throughout the last several years on the mission that we're on. Kim, if you would stand up. <clears throat> One of, one of the things that Kim has said repeatedly is that one of the biggest mistakes we've made over the last probably several thousand years is we believe that if people look up to someone on a stage, somehow or another that imputes some elevated perspective or elevated knowledge. And, and in keeping with the tradition of the Anabaptist movement from which my family lineage comes, I thought that it would be appropriate to actually not be on a stage tonight. And the reason for that is because this should be a conversation. I'm going to be directly delivering exceptionally problematic information to a room full of people where my intention is not to convince you of a thing, not to persuade you of a thing at all. My, my intent is to lay out a series of observations and then engage in a conversation, this Q&A that allows us to say, if this perspective that we now have is the case, what is our response? What is the, the way in which we take that information and apply it? Because information for its own sake is just that. It's just information. But until we actually can figure out how do we take that information and bring it to application, then we don't have knowledge. Then we don't have wisdom. All we have is facts. And facts aren't going to help us. I've said very frequently, I've never met a fact that can overwhelm a belief. <laughs> I think I'm in good company. Okay? Eh. And, and quite tragically, I found that in the United States, at least, many of the people who deeply appreciated the, and respected the tradition of Steiner happened to be the first ones to line their children up to get jabbed, which I found to be an enormously puzzling and actually quite tragic indictment on what happens when we elevate an expert but fail to understand the spirit from which the expertise arose. I can absolutely and unequivocally guarantee you that if he was with us right now, he would not be saying, line up your kids and get them genetically modified. <laughs> that would not be the recommendation. However, many of the people who advanced the cause for which Steiner is most known were the very early ones to send the lambs to the slaughter. And this is truly a remarkable tragedy. But it's not more or less remarkable the tragedy that we have when the Pope decides to say that genetic modification of people is a, quote, gift from God. This is the same church that merely 20 years earlier issued a papal bull that said genetically modified nature is a violation of the divine order. And 20 years later, and a couple sheep that got a little weird... Some of you got the joke. Most of you didn't, but it'll come, it'll come, it'll come. 20 years after Dolly, now we have the Pope telling us that genetically modified humans are a gift from God, and 
setting the stage for the CRISPR technology, which will be the gene editing technology, which is actually the ultimate affront to everything that the church actually advocated for nearly a thousand years, that will be now put on the altar so that we can actually line the faithful up to edit out the genetics that we modified into the genetics courtesy of the gift from God. You couldn't make this up. But what was the central problem? The central problem was belief, not observation of fact, critical thought, analysis, conversation, and action. Which is, in fact, what this gentleman encouraged all of us to pursue. So I feel that it's particularly interesting in light of that, that my presentation tonight, which was originally intended for Zurich, but here we are. We took a left when we should have gone right. I don't know. <laughs> Permanent neutrality in an era of biological weapons for hire. This is a conversation we should only have in Switzerland because Switzerland has a very unique role in the world and on the world stage where we should be having different conversations. And as a result of that, that's what our intent is tonight. Now, many of you are familiar with my presentations, and I have a moral obligation in every presentation to open my speeches with this quote. This is the admission, unambiguously, which states, without any equivocation, that the reason for the global terror campaign that began officially in the minds of most people in late 2019 was a premeditated plan of terrorism, collusion, coercion, and ultimately murder. And worse than all of the other facts that we'll talk about tonight is the criminals admitted to the crime in their own words. This quote is the admission of four felonies, regardless of which side of the Atlantic you're on, and let's go through it. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures, such as a pan-influenza or a pan-coronavirus vaccine. Just there, we have the admission of two crimes. To increase the funding base. Did you hear that? Not to expand public health, not to help humanity, to increase the funding base beyond a crisis. This quote from 2015 was not on the eve of or in the wake of a crisis. So what's the crisis that we need to sustain the funding base beyond a crisis that's not there in 2014 and 2015. Well, the crisis was that there was a reduction in funding of biological weapons programs sponsored by the World Health Organization. The crisis was not a health crisis. It was a funding crisis for the people who actually were running out of money for their bioweapons programs. Oops. 
Those are two crimes. Now let's go on. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. Another admission of two crimes. Let's start with hype. What's that? That's actually psychological terror. We're going to build a program. We're going to recite COVID count, COVID death, COVID count, COVID death, COVID count, COVID death. And we're going to get a mind control loop going. Oh, my God, there's a pandemic. We're going to use the media to create the hype. And the economics will follow the hype. Second crime. What's that? That's actually economic conspiracy because economics that follow hype is not informed consent. That's not willing buyer, willing seller informed of all the facts. That is an intent to defraud. Under crown law, we call it fraudulent conveyance. When you actually don't inform a counterparty of the risks associated with a contract, we have under crown law the principle of the, the notion of fraudulent conveyance. And why is this important? And by the way, I have yet to meet a lawyer in a room who's bothered to read the law on this one. The reason why fraudulent conveyance is such an important principle in the law is that the legal obligation if someone engaged in fraud in contracting is the fraud perpetrating party is required under the law to actually not just recompense the damage, but their legal obligation is to return the damaged party to their pre-damaged state. You hear that? It's not, we're going to give you a couple bucks for your pain and suffering. No. You are legally required to return the condition to the pre-damaged state. Wow. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a single lawyer on the planet who actually bothered to read fraudulent conveyance when they read this? Because what would be the consequence? The penalty is not we're going to find a financial you know, compensation scheme for the injured. Which, by the way, is the high watermark we have in our society right now. We'll give you a couple bucks for your autism. We'll give you a couple bucks for your Bell's palsy. We'll give you a couple bucks for the dead child. We'll give you a couple bucks for the permanent disability. Right? That's our current high watermark. But that's not what the legal standard is for fraudulent conveyance. Fraudulent conveyance, legal standard says... Return to its pre-damaged state. Ah, why don't we talk about this? Well, we don't talk about it because we're coward to talk about it. We have been cowed into submission to believe that somehow or another that's too much to ask for. That would be inconvenient. Really? How about myocarditis? That's inconvenient. How about very rapidly acting cancers? That's inconvenient. These are inconveniences, to be sure. But we're not even asking for what we should ask for. And we should ask for something because if we followed the law, we would actually recommend not a financial compensation. We would recommend a return to the pre damaged state. By the way, I'm not making up the law. This is the law. And the reason why we don't have the remedy in front of our face is because we don't have the people who have the courage 
to stand up and ask for it. We haven't even had a judge rule on this. You know why? It's never been presented. It's kind of a bummer. We can't even lose. Because we don't even try. We don't even have the honor to fail with dignity. Which is staggering. By the way, I'll go through other slides faster, but this one's an important one. Because if you don't get what's being done in here, if you don't see the admission of all eight crimes, you haven't seen the crime. We need to use that hype to our advantage. Wow! To get to the real issue. And what's the real issue? Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Wow. So the pan-coronavirus vaccine program, which was publicly announced during the gain-of-function moratorium in the United States, and by virtue of the pause in the United States, all U.S.-affiliated programs worldwide, that gain-of-function moratorium was going on while we were announcing a global plan of global terrorism for a pan-coronavirus vaccine. Which, by the way, the World Health Organization, based here in Switzerland, <laughs> have I mentioned, declared eradicated a year earlier. How do we need a vaccine for an eradicated disease during a gain-of-function moratorium? when there's theoretically no chance that we could have a reason to need a vaccine for a thing that doesn't exist. Well, because we were making it, Ralph Barrick, we were hyping it, Peter Daszak, he's the one who gave that quote, by the way, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, published in February 2015, and we were going to hijack liberty with it. Now, Many of you have seen these slides, and I am not going to bore you with the details that exist in the speech I gave at the European Union Parliament on May of 2023. And if you haven't seen that, that's unfortunate, because over half the world's total population has now not only downloaded it, but watched it. And the funniest thing about this is I was in a hotel in New York when a person came up to me and said, oh my God, you're David Martin. And I said, well, yes. And he, he said, you know you're a TikTok influencer. <laughs> I didn't know I was a TikTok influencer. I know I have a very cute butt, but I didn't know I was a TikTok influencer. That was news to me. But according to TikTok, 800 million people have downloaded it on TikTok. 800 million. More than, I don't know, somebody who shakes their booty on TikTok. That's how many people like what I had to say. This is an amazing thing. But four billion people have seen that video. And what makes that video particularly important is these two slides. And what makes these two slides important is first, the recognition that the isolation of what we have decided to call, and by the way, I'm gonna be very precise in my language here so you can try to misquote me later in a question, but you won't get there. The thing we decided to call coronavirus we decided to call coronavirus in 1965. 
Okay? Not 2003, not 2019. 1965. And by 1967, the United States and the UK actually began an exchange program where we were taking pathogens from the United States and injecting them or spewing them into healthy volunteers in the United Kingdom as part of our biological weapons program. So if anybody sits there and goes, well, uh, maybe it leaked from a lab. No, it didn't leak. The first thing that ever was done with the toxins associated with the coronavirus model was people in the U.S. took samples to the U.K. and infected healthy volunteers. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what a healthy volunteer is in the United States or in the United Kingdom, but I'm going to break some news to you. Healthy volunteers mean enlisted people in the military. who do not have informed consent protection. We murdered people. But don't worry, it gets better. Because obviously we wouldn't want that to happen. In this beautiful paper that I wish everybody would read, because I'm amazed at how many people think it's surprising that somehow or another we have cardi uh, cardiac you know, myocarditis and other cardiac events, in 1992, Ralph Barrick at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill figured out how to take a pathogen that used to infect the gut and used to infect the lungs and figured out how to alter it with a chimera so that it would infect the heart. Now, pause and think about what I just said. What manner of human being on Earth would go, ah, it's giving you a little gastroenteritis, Oh, it's giving you a little of a head cold, maybe a little bit of a sniffle. I wonder if we could modify it so it hit your heart. Think about this. What, what goes on in the head of a person who says, this was a little glitch in my tummy. It was a little sniffle in my nose. Let's see if we can make it hit hearts. And not just hit hearts but create cardiomyopathy, one of the most lethal heart inflammations possible, which really has a beautiful, usual mortality end, where your heart ruptures. Isn't that beautiful? A lovely thought. We're going to see if we can do something that would create a condition in which the likely outcome is the rupturing of a heart. And that was 1992. It gets better. Pfizer decides to patent their first spike protein vaccine in November of 2000. Operation Warp Speed. If by warp speed we mean maple syrup running in, I don't know, the top of the Alps, in February. That's how fast this is. From November of 2000 until 2019. That's how fast we went with a spike protein vaccine. Or maybe we should go back and look and see what happened in those trials 
to find out that when we tried to create vaccines for coronavirus, you know what we did? We killed the animals that we put the vaccines into. Which would explain why the University of California, San Francisco's Institutional Review Board in the summer of 2020 was told that the coronavirus vaccine clinical trials was a straight-to-humans protocol. That's a quote. Despite the fact that every single trial from November of 2000 until then had killed all of the animals into which the experimental injections were placed. So that would be a great reason to say, let's do a straight-to-humans protocol, because we wouldn't want the inconvenience of having safety data that would suggest that it kills animals. I'm glad that there's a pause here. You, you kind of can't make this egregious level of a crime up unless you realize that behind this, there must be another crime. Because each one of these, in and of themselves, is horrific. But the sum of them becomes much, much, much more problematic. And let's go ahead and jump to the wonderful creation of the patent that was filed in 2002, which is actually the reason why I am done with everybody who asks the question, was there a novel virus? Was there a novel disease? Let's stipulate with the facts that there were neither. There was not a novel virus. There was a variety of biological weapons designed off of the back of the patent that was filed in 2002, which was the infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Now, let's slow down and answer the question, what does that phrase mean? Infectious replication defective. Infectious means we want to target a cell in the body to make sure the thing that we're injecting goes into the cell. That's what infectious means. Replication defective means we want the information that we inject to infect that cell, but not replicate and spread to others. Which means that the bioweapon itself was engineered as a weapon to hit a target, but not proliferate. That's what the patented technology is. Which is the reason why when we had SARS 1.0 in 2002 and 2003, the world was all supposed to die. Remember that? We were going to have dead people everywhere. And as hard as we tried to make it into a pandemic, as hard as we tried, we could only kick 900 people off the mountain. And that was the global pandemic. Why? Because the weapon worked. If you expose somebody to the toxic agent, they died. But they didn't spread it to others. Which is the reason why we did not have the transmission of SARS 1.0. Because you can't transmit a thing that's designed not to replicate. But worse still, what is the definition of a virus 
if you subscribe to the definition of a virus. A virus is a replicating protein sequence. <gasps> Guess what this isn't? Replication defective means we took the virus out of a virus. It was not a replicating device. It was, in fact, a weapon. Now, I've got tons of people who go, Dave, you're crossing a line. Don't say it's a weapon. It's not a weapon. You can't call it a weapon. You offend people who kill people when you call it a weapon. <laughs> well, guess what? If you're offended, I don't care. Because I didn't call it a weapon. The guy who built it called it a weapon. And not kind of. In 2005, the MRA spike protein was actually heralded in a conference hosted by DARPA and by MITRE in the United States as, and are you ready for this? Synthetic coronavirus is biohacking. And now, are you ready for this? Biological warfare enabling technology. Let's see, I wonder what that could mean. Let's, let's think of all the things that could mean. Biological warfare enabling technology sounds like public health for accidental releases, doesn't it? No. When you say biological warfare enabling technology, you know what you're saying it is? A biological warfare agent. I'm not the one saying that it's biological weapons. I'm not the one saying it's biological warfare. The perpetrator called it that in 2005 and was rewarded with a dual entry budget, where the budget that went to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill received money from Anthony Fauci's NIAID NIH budget, and exactly at the same time each one of those checks was written. Are you ready for this? Anthony Fauci had a second checkbook. And that second checkbook came from the Department of Defense Pandemic Preparedness Program. And guess what that was? An equal matching non-competition grant. Non-competition grant. Now, there's two people in the room that might understand what I'm about to say. But that's, in, the, in Europe, a violation of anti-competition laws. You're not allowed to double down on a public grant without any competition or transparency saying that this agency is going to give you $10 million over here and this one's going to give you $10 million over here. Why? Because this one gave you $10 million. Not because it was fair, not because it was open, not because it was transparent, not because there was actually grant competition. It's by virtue of the determination of one side, the other side de facto matched the money. And that started in 2005, not in 2019. And so you've heard things like, oh, Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance, 2015, did the thing in China. Yeah, with the $3.4 million that he took. But conveniently, you're not told of the over $141 million, which is slightly more than $3.4 million. You're not told of the $140 million that went into the bioweapons program 
at the universities led by University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Why do I care about this? Why should we care about this? I'm amazed at how many people try to figure out this crime. Hey, clearly, governments wouldn't do that, would they? <laughs> Clear, clearly, the World Health Organization is all about health, isn't it? Clearly, these are, these are good people. They were misguided, but good people. No, they're not. They are criminals intent to kill humanity. And I have the audacity to stand in front of you tonight and say, if a criminal is intending to kill humanity, I, for one, feel like a human being ought to point that out. Not sit there and go, well, maybe, Dave, but really, aren't you being a little harsh? A little harsh? I'm being a little harsh when I say that a person who got rewarded financially for doing biological weapon creation with synthetic coronavirus models, which actually were promulgated around the world and experimented on in killing people, I'm a little harsh when I say that's a problem. I don't think so. And I'm ready for all of us to get comfortable with saying that. If somebody's killing human beings, we shouldn't be trying to be politically correct. <laughs> They do not identify as murderers. <laughs> if you ever got the joke, if you're in America, that's a knockdown. Everybody's rolling in the everybody's rolling in the aisles. Now, I have been the most ardent advocate for shaming the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill for a very good reason. Most people don't know why, so I'm going to give you the tar on their heels. That's Tar Heels are the name of North Carolina. Blood on their hands. I'm going to give you the reason why I have such an absolute aversion to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. And the reason is because in 1984, the state of North Carolina, not just the university, but the state of North Carolina, sold itself to the welcome businesses, GlaxoSmithKline, and the whole welcome companies. The reason why you've heard the term maybe Research Triangle Institute or Research Triangle Park, which is University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, Duke University, and North Carolina State University. The reason why you've heard of the Research Triangle is because the state of North Carolina sold its universities to GlaxoSmithKline Welcome. And they did it because of AZT. AZT was on patent, and we needed a state in the United States to be ground zero to make sure that AZT became the drug of choice for the treatment of HIV. So in 1984, we invent HIV conveniently for the purpose of making sure we have one treatment, AZT. Here's the interesting little fact that very few people know, but if you go back and look at the videos of Anthony Fauci in 1985 and 1986, what you'll find is he's talking about maybe we should get a vaccine for HIV. But he suddenly got a knock on the door from GlaxoSmithKline going, hey, Mr. Fauci, don't start that project until the patent on AZT runs out. 
I'm not making this up. It's actually videos that you can see. And so mysteriously, courtesy of the Welcome AZT protest, from 1991 to 1996, the world was told that the only treatment for HIV was AZT, and as such, the patent and the rest of the patent life on AZT could expire so that GlaxoSmithKline Welcome could get all of the money for the patented technology for a thing that was killing patients that allegedly had HIV. Murder for hire. And the state of North Carolina sold the state so that that could happen. Conveniently, NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, decided that UNC Chapel Hill was its go-to institution while AZT was in its monopoly run to actually begin the process of doing HIV vaccine research, which is the reason why Ralph Barrick in 1992, and you'll note the date, right? So 91 to 96 is the AZT cover story. And underneath that, you have Ralph Barrick genetically modifying and making chimeras of this coronavirus thing to create an HIV vaccine, which is going to conveniently roll out in 1997 as the patent on AZT expires. Which is the reason why you need to figure out how to get the gastrointestinal and flu problem to become a heart problem. Because you need to actually get that package, that little envelope around what we call coronavirus, you need to get the envelope to deliver the HIV vaccine. So all of the funding for the HIV vaccine that was going to this program was actually going to use coronavirus as the packet in which the HIV vaccine was going to be delivered. We're going to take a brief break and be right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I hope they gave you some insights that you didn't have otherwise. What's happening now, and it's happening worldwide, is that the truth is finally emerging. Hundreds of scientific papers, I have them all, from around the world, are showing that virtually everything you were told about COVID was a lie. It was not a pandemic. It was not this terribly lethal uh, virus. Yes, it's a bad flu in the same numbers. If you actually look and break down the statistics which people have done, but what we do now know, it was human-made. In fact, as I reported earlier in the week, two of Japan's leading virologist professors at two of their leading institutions have published a paper this last week showing that every single variant, Omicron and Delta, all of them, were human-made biological weapons. Now that is now irrefutable. Anyone saying otherwise is delusional and not willing to be a part of the solution. You can't change a problem to your honest about what it is. And so they're, they're, and by the way, they tend to be rather conservative when it comes to what they say in Japan in science. Just want to share that with you. And I posted their article from their universities. Two separate universities did this. Not a word in the American media about this. Because if we had to acknowledge that every single variant was a bioweapon, and, uh, and then who released these variants? And why haven't we been honest? Because that means the main one was a bioweapon, which we now have evidence of. 
This is just one more of these hundreds of articles. This is from Robert uh, Kalik and uh, Tishron, an interview, quote, from Paul Thatcher. Leading biodefense expert says a science cabal is misdirecting America about a Wuhan lab accident. Quote, it's like denial and deception. Then it goes into great length on this article about how they've deceived you. And this is a person that worked for the Defense Department. He was right in there in the core of everything when it came to the COVID planning and the protocols. So he's speaking out now before he had not. And I posted the article. You can go to prn.live, uh, scroll down to archives, scroll down to Gary's notes, and you will see there this particular article. You can read it for yourself. And I'm posting dozens of articles on my notes for the show to show you what this is, but now they're all coming out. So we've breached their defenses. Now, I'm not accusing Howard Stern or Rachel Maddow of anything that is uh, malice. I am challenging them to apologize for being wrong and why. Because it's one thing to be wrong without consequence. It's something else to be wrong where your devoted followers believe you. So when you say it's the unvaccinated who are the danger, an epidemic of the unvaccinated, remember they said that? And they said, get your shots. And they even said that you shouldn't, you should be able to die if you had to go to a hospital rather than be treated if you weren't vaccinated. Reprehensible behavior, including, unfortunately, many voices within Pacifica. But they've been wrong on so many things, I stopped counting. So what if people went out to get their vaccines thinking they were doing the right thing? And maybe the people telling them to do that thought they were doing the right thing. I don't question their motives because I don't know them. But the end results were people died. How many of their audience members died or were permanently injured because they trusted what they said? And if they can, do not have the integrity or character to apologize, then just bear that in mind because they should be held accountable for wrongful deaths, in my opinion. So now everything is collapsing and now the lawsuits are starting. I know because I'm providing an awful lot of the research, the scholarship. Just want to let you know that. So you'll hear part two on Christmas Day. I'll be doing my show on, on Christmas Day. And uh, then you can make up your mind what you think is important. Uh, but now the first major 5G lawsuit has been uh, launched. And for those of you who read the article that I wrote, 407 pages to 395 pages of footnotes, all from period journals about the dangers of 5G, the whole phenomena of electromagnetic poisoning, then you're on the right side of history. And by the way, here's just a new article. I want to thank People's Voice, good publication. Here's what it says, quote, first major U.S. health official urges the public to avoid the RNA vaccines. Quote, they cause V-AIDS, vaccine-acquired immune deficiency syndrome, VADES, occurs as a result of the body's decreased immunity to pathogens following the MRA vaccination. Just like AIDS, 
The disease attacks the body's natural immune system, making people more vulnerable to other infections. According to Dr. Joseph Ladapa, L-A-D-A-P-O, the vaccines, quote, are not backed by clinical evidence, but blind faith alone with zero regard for widespread immunity. And uh, the guidance to patients and doctors, the Florida Department of Health warned, quote, based upon the high rate of global immunity and currently available data, the state surgeon general recommends against the COVID vaccine booster for individuals under 65. Um, individuals 65 and older should discuss this information with their health care provider, including potential concerns outlined in this guidance, end quote. So, Hundreds of articles are now out there. Finally, people found courage to tell the truth. I want to give you a couple good things. First of all, I posted something today that will bring a smile to your face and a tear to your eye. Uh, I want to thank Lou Panisi who sent it over to me. It's all about good deeds done by good people around the world. Now, we know that most people are good people. Once you get to know them and you get by some of the uh, idiosyncratic behavior and the uniqueness of their culture or, or their, their personality, the vast majority of people are kind-hearted, open, and tolerant. And uh, we unfortunately have gotten to the place where we began to overlook the goodness in people. We began to look past all the wonderful achievements that humans of every background and race and color have made. We focus upon the dystopian past, mistakes made that shouldn't have been, as if that's all we're capable of today, and where therefore we should live in some nightmare, uh, some living purgatory. And these are the race hustlers. These are the identity politics hustlers. This is the new segregation they're creating, just like the mayor of, uh, of one of the towns up north Boston or somewhere, uh, had a party and excluded whites. That's racism. And yet that is the new norm. Well, we're pushing back. I'm pushing back. I've done 54 articles on this topic, the new racist. And I think it should stop. And also identity politics should stop. And all the different ways that we are allowing people who have no competence in something to suddenly be rewarded for just showing up because of their ethnicity or their background. I believe that we have lost so much of our intellectual capacity for critical thinking and creative endeavors to find positive solutions. And I'm writing my New Year's resolution. I'm going to write 100 articles challenging the stupidity that manifests in Congress and industries and in individuals for the new year. In any case, I've got something, a uh, couple good things to share with you. First off, you can thank Gladys for this, just a listener. And uh, she left a message, and she said that she's on not yet on Social Security, therefore she doesn't have the benefit of that, and uh, she's been unemployed, but through her savings, she tries to buy the right food, she does the right thing. She exercises, goes power walking every day in the park. Didn't say which park. And she said that uh, a friend of hers got the anti-aging elixir skin cream, had great results, and uh, so she got a bottle. And she says, could I put off for a while 
raising the price to $200. She appreciates that it really should be, and she agreed, $1,000 based upon what everyone else is offering. So for the next four weeks, we will keep the price at $125. Today is the last day. Tomorrow it becomes $125 because of Gladys' call and because she just sounded like such a sweet human being asking for a little help. And, and I'm in the business of giving as much help as I can to people. Uh, so you got a reprieve from a higher price. So that's fine. And uh, now, now you can start to write in at uh, garysproducts.com and put down what your experiences are. And because we wanted people to be able to use it for at least five weeks, and it's been five weeks. So give us a call and let us know uh, what it is that you can say about you know your experience. Love to know. All right? And now I've got a special for you for today. And here's the special. I haven't done this special before. And by the way, you're getting a 60% six, uh, off, 60% discount. You're going to get something all of us need every day. Energy stuff. Large can, 480 grams. Plus, you're getting a documentary I don't remember when I last I, I offered it. Overcoming Fatigue, a Natural Approach. Together, it's $94.98. You only pay, ready? $39. That's it, plus shipping. That's it. $39 for this special today. 60% off. But what's in my proprietary blend that no one else has? They have caffeine. I don't. Artificial colors and flavors. I don't. You're going to get an electrolyte blend of sodium citrate, magnesium citrate, potassium citrate. Very important. You won't find that, in my knowledge, in any of the other energy drinks out there that I would never drink. You're getting D-ribose, L-taurine, L-arginine, creatine monohydrate. All the athletes know about that. Green tea extract, cordyceps mushroom, acetyl-L-carnitine, Panax ginseng, ginkgo biloba extract, L-carnosine, rhodiola rosea root, cayenne, coenzyme Q10, and vitamin B12. All this in a natural orange flavor. You know, that's what you're getting, all right? And uh, you're also, you should feel really good about getting energy the right way. And this is the right way. This is the natural way. And for the documentary that you should watch, and if you don't have a capacity to watch, you can listen to it. Because millions, hundreds of millions of Americans are actually living only a percentage of their lives, waking up each morning without the energy to really live life at full tilt. They're happy just to get through the day and frequently have to have stimulants to do that. What is fatigue? It is something we ate. Some, some say it's normal to be tired after a big meal. We believe being tired is part of the natural progression of aging, premature aging. It's your mitochondria, and that can lead to all forms of fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, and just not having energy. The older we get, the less energy we have. Therefore, the less we engage. Therefore, the more our life shrinks. We define the cause of fatigue differently in this documentary. We show you the primary causes you're not going to be aware of. We also show you the holistic approach to uh, overcoming it. So, that is our package for today, our special. How do you get our special of energy stuff? 
that everybody would benefit from, and the Overcoming Fatigue Natural Approach documentary at a 60% discount. It's only 39 bucks. Call 877-627-5065. 877-627-5065. Or call Neil in the Vitamin Closet Monday to Saturday noon to 8 or go visit him. 35 West 35th Street, 12th floor, just off 5th Avenue. And uh, his number is 646 926 so, I don't have time for calls. I will be taking calls after you hear part two. So, Wednesday or Tuesday of next week, I will take calls because you're going to be hearing much more information. And again, who got the money? Who changed the way they said it came from nature or came from a laboratory to it came from nature? We're going to name those scientific organizations and scientists who received tens of millions of dollars from Anthony Fauci and Collins. We're going to continue to show you who's responsible. How is it that a man, a scientist you've never heard of, who mysteriously committed suicide off a building in Wuhan, the lab research, right after he had patented the vaccine? Well, hold on a second, Gary. How could someone patent a vaccine for COVID before COVID was discovered to be a virus that infects people? This was before the virus was even announced, even recognized by the World Health Organization. But it happened. Well, then that means the Chinese Defense Department was working on this virus. And then a vaccine. Create the problem, then create the so-called treatment. So... We're going to get into all this on our next discussion. We're out of time now. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day.